welcome everybody to my ed tech life i hope you guys have had a wonderful wednesday thank you to the many of you guys that are watching us right now at this moment it may be dinner time maybe you know you're getting a bite to eat whatever the case is thank you so much for showing your support and you know joining us this wonderful evening as we have just an amazing guest as we always do and so i'm just really excited that i finally was able to get this amazing guest and she is an amazing educator she has so much energy she has just a wonderful way of seeing and thinking uh things in education she's always uh sharing her expertise and she has just been a wonderful friend a wonderful person to follow so if you haven't yet i know that after the show you're definitely going to want to follow my friend mel aveling who's joining us all the way from colombia so i'm just really excited that she's here mel thank you so much for uh finding some time out of your schedule to be here on our show and just sharing your experience with not only with me but with all our viewers so thank you so much for being here no problem, Fonz. It's actually my honor to be on your show because, as you mentioned, you've had like over 30 episodes, so it's like epic. You're like basically famous. So I'm the one that's like totally honored to actually be here. So totally appreciate you being able to invite me on and hopefully I can share something um, with others that is, is worthwhile. But, so thank you so much, though. Oh, for sure, for sure. And again, I'm just really excited. We've got uh, Shannon here also. You are the greatest of all time. And Shannon is just amazing as well. She's an amazing educator. So if you can, uh, Shannon, go ahead and put your Twitter in here. That way uh, people can follow you as well. And of course, follow all of Global GEG. So big shout out to everybody from Global GEG. Oh, Leslie. Oh my goodness. Leslie, thank you so much. Fellow Aussie, of course, here's to support Mel, I bet, and everything. And Leslie's just an amazing educator as well. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining this evening. So Mel, today, uh, I'm just really excited. I really am excited to always learn new things. And obviously from educators such as yourself that um, you know, I have been following you and of course we're friends and mutual friends through Global GEG, but just uh, your story, your background, as many of us have interesting backgrounds, but uh, I, I just want to know a little bit more and I want the world to know a little bit more about the amazing Funguli. All right. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and just start talking a little bit about um, Australia. You know, you came up, you born in Australia, native from Australia and uh so I want to know maybe at, at what point, at what time did you decide or did you decide to go into education? Okay, so hi everyone. And I don't know if I'm that awesome, but anyway, so I'll just give you a quick intro. So I'm from Melbourne, Australia originally. So I actually started teaching in 2010. So before that, I was one of those people that actually like I finished school like in 2005 and I went straight into university and I did like a double degree of arts and education. I mean, like I straight went into like a teaching degree. I mean, like when I finished grade 12, I was sort of like, hmm, like into like law or education or multimedia design. Like I didn't really know what I wanted to do exactly, but for whatever reason, like the score that I ended up getting in grade 12 was like the exact one I needed to get into teaching. And so I ended up, you know, starting the teaching degree. 
And I, but I was like trying to keep my options open and I decided to take like criminology as like an elective because I was like, okay, bizarre. Like people like, if you score high in that, you can transfer into law maybe. Cause after my school, there was no way I was getting into law. I was like, no way, I, this dream is over. And I mean like that year, like I actually did score pretty well in it, but like I did have teaching rounds in my first year and it got me like, oh no, I'm here. You know, teaching is pretty interesting. And I know most people like, well, courses like what you do in university and what you do in the real world is quite different but I think like having like teaching experience in the first year got me like okay no this is quite interesting I do want to stick with it so I wasn't one of those people that I know some people have like those special stories of you know when they were young they always dreamed of being a teacher or something like that you know that was not really me I mean like I of course like I'm interested in helping people but I did not have like, I do not have some inspirational story for like why I became an educator. It's more like why I stayed an educator, but I mean like the beginnings, I mean, I was just one of those people went straight from school, university, graduated straight into teaching. Like I haven't, like there's nothing else there. So I don't know if that's, that's right. well, that's what started. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's definitely interesting. See, like we're learning something, you know, wanting to go into criminology, you know, going to law school, but you just, you fell into teaching in, in that sense, I mean, you you scored well enough, but now I think that we are definitely not, well, not only your students, but even ourselves as educators and as collaborators and peers and colleagues. I mean, we definitely are benefiting from you, you know, taking this road because just the, the way that we've seen you be part and contribute to our education uh, community has just been tremendous so you know i'm kind of thankful that things really worked out the way they did because you're definitely an, a wonderful asset to our learning community so you know that's really interesting story now now that you kind of told us a little bit of how you just you know graduated straight into teaching you know how how long were you and i know that you're you you're teaching internationally so going from australia to some of the places that you've taught you know, was there a specific reason that you say, you know what, I just feel like not teaching here. Let me go ahead and go to a different country and teach or how did that work out? Okay. So before I say that, I'm going to answer Pele's question about what I actually graduated oh. in. I mean, I actually majored in English literature. My arts degree and got permission to do a maths minor so that I could actually mm -hmm. teach both English and maths. Because usually like for well, Australia, at least, like to to do secondary education, so like high school, you have to like do two different methods. So usually, most people like English and history, maths and science. But for me, I was like English and maths. So I mean, so I don't have a science degree or whatever, but I got permission to do maths as part of my arts degree, so I could actually teach it. And so, like starting off, like in Australia, like I I was teaching English and maths. I taught like in the outer western suburbs of Melbourne for three years, which is very interesting area a bit of a rough um place to start off with but i had like it was a very interesting time like i think as a graduate teacher um things can be really difficult like depending on the support that you have and i mean if the students are challenging but then you need like supportive colleagues and that sort of thing so for me at the start i was like okay do i still want to be a teacher or not i mean it's always like difficult like a lot of teachers like after the first six months they drop out of teaching like because it's just too hard they don't have the right support and that sort of thing but somehow i stayed at that first school for like three years or so um and i taught a variety a heap of different subjects i mean like i just wanted like english and math that was like my thing but of course, I taught something called inquiry, which involved like rat dissections and 
Egyptian uh, hieroglyphs and like all the different things. So that was like my experience when I first started. And then I moved to like the country, so like rural Victoria, and I taught there for one and a half years. Um, and now you're asking like, why did I end up going overseas? So, I mean, like I had a few friends that went straight overseas, like after they graduated, they went straight like to England to teach. But then I heard stories of like the fact that they really regretted not having experience first before they went over. And I was like, okay, so I'll stay here for a few years, get some experience and maybe go overseas. Cause like my mom, like I'm jumping everywhere, but my mom, she's Malaysian. So I mean like, I've been to Malaysia like a bazillion times, but so I've always like been traveling like to Asia quite a bit, but, and I was like, hmm, what about teaching, you know, overseas? And in my second school, um, after one year there and the following year I got uh, allocated to the grade nine campus and I had to teach international studies and um, humanities. I, I was like the head of international studies and I, I mean like, and I had maths and English as well, but it wasn't like really what I wanted. and. From that point, I was like, okay, um, now this is the time. I mean, like, I've taught here for four, almost five years now, and I think it's time for me to move, time for me to, like, um, see what's out there. And so I went to, like, an international job fair with Search Associates, and, I mean, that's that was that point. That's why I was like, okay, so now it's time. Time for me to change, time for me to have a look. And I was looking, like, mostly at China, actually, because, like, I learned Chinese for many years, even though my Chinese is not very good. And I was like, okay, but I'll have a look at China. And I ended up being in Taiwan, which was amazing. And, I, and I'm really happy that I ended up being there. But anyway, that's my bit. Sorry, I just did a giant spill of all the things. So, Fonz, if you have, if you want to say No, something. I'm like, that. that is amazing. That is a, a wonderful story. And I know we've got uh, Pili here who's joining us. Pili, welcome. And we've got Shannon. And we're, we're just in awe because we're learning so much more about what makes you great, Mel. And it, it's just an amazing story, just your experience and... For a second there, I was going to stop when you said that uh, your friend said that, you know, they wish they had some teaching experience before they went to England. They said they were scared. I thought you were going to say something. No, they were scared because they had to eat uh, beans on toast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but of course, that, that that's just a little inside joke there between us. <laughs> anyway, but now let's talk a little bit about your transition now to Taiwan. As you said, you know, you're traveling and you, you know, you feel comfortable with the travel. And of course, by this time, you've had some experience. So, you know, arriving in Taiwan and getting your first teaching job there. How was that? How was that transition? Okay. So that was some interesting times because I mean, I never, like I traveled, but always like with family, basically. I'd never done like solo international travel. I didn't know anyone in Taiwan. So I mean, like in April that year, I went with my mom to Taiwan because she was like, I want to make sure we want to check out this school and everything. So we're in Taiwan during like one of my term break. We went over there to check things out. And my mom was, was like feeling a bit more like confident about like letting me go. Um, I mean, I wasn't living at home at that point, but I mean, she's, she was, I think moms are moms. So they're a bit protective in a way. So she wanted to just go with me to Taiwan. And I mean, so that was in April. And then in August or end of July or something, I moved over there. So I mean, like it was my first international school, international experience. And it was at an international baccalaureate school. So I had no experience teaching the IB. I mean, I just had teach, you know, experience teaching like the local curriculum and a variety of a huge different, you know, all the different subjects basically. And this position was just for maths. 
and it was from grade nine to 12. And I'd never taught grade 12 before. Um, so it was like a bit, hmm, huh, and I was like, okay. But for me, like, for some strange reason, when I have changes in things, I don't really process those changes until later. So I mean, like, I organized all my stuff to go over, but I didn't really feel nervous, I guess, or weird. I mean, like, I got there and I was like, okay, here I am. And it's really interesting, like being an international teacher. So like working at international school, there's usually a batch of teachers that get hired each year. So about like 10 or 11 of us that got hired and we got put like in this hotel or like a place that was close to the school. And we stay there for basically a month or so until like accommodation gets set up. So like I became quite close to the people that were there. So like all the other international teachers that were hired um, were in that same place. So like we weren't in the same rooms. We're like maybe on the same floor. We're like chilling like the... The hallway is going like, hey. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, like, it wasn't like even though at the start, even though I didn't know anyone originally, like going straight in there. I mean, like once I got there, like I did feel like okay, I made connections. So it wasn't oh, that great. And that's something that's great. And you know, as we talk about, you know, relationships, making those connections, that's definitely something important to have that support system. I mean, like you said, usually you traveled with family, and now you're out there you know, on your own kind of. And now with this batch of teachers, now you build that camaraderie and that friendship, you're working in the same place. So it's really great that, you know, you're able to have that support system there. Now, we did have a question from Leslie, if you don't mind. Leslie was asking, how many languages do you speak, Mel? Uh, I tried to write that in the chat. I mean, like English really uh. is my main thing. I mean, like I did learn Chinese for a long time. So maybe like 10 years and I also did a diploma in it um after I finished school but I didn't really use it that much because like you imagine like Australia is like super multicultural but you don't really have to use Chinese like the reason why I learned Chinese is because my mom she's Malaysian so she can't speak Malaysian that well I, I mean like uh, sorry Chinese that well but like our like the older relatives and stuff do like she speaks a dialect called Hokkien and I can speak a little bit of that but not much but she was like you need to learn it it's important to communicate with your relatives but I mean it wasn't very good like Chinese but I thought like moving to Taiwan basically will force me to speak Chinese because I mean like to communicate with the locals I'd have to use the language and Taiwanese is actually sort of similar to Hokkien like my mom's dialect so I mean, I didn't feel like totally lost when I went there. I mean, like I realized when I got there, like how much Chinese I didn't know. I was like, what did I learn in school? I mean, that stuff was not useful. Why did I learn like useful stuff? So I mean, when I was in Taiwan, I picked up on a lot of like things that were important and like to get integrated in the community there, like outside of just the internationals, because it's really tempting as an international teacher to just stick with that community, that international teaching community, so that you just like you're just with them, like, and you don't really go outside of them. You don't learn any Chinese. Like some people I know stayed in um, Taiwan for seven years and could just say hello. So, I mean, like I was, I was really appreciative of the fact that I did have Chinese um, before. And Pila is asking whether I have Chinese family. So my mom is Malaysian, um, but she's like maybe third generation Chinese, I guess. I mean, maybe her great, great grandparents are probably from China um so like in malaysia like the main the primary language is bahasa malay like malay which is similar to indonesian but like one of like basically when you go to school there you either go to like to a malay school or a chinese school or english school my mom actually went to a english school that's why her english is pretty good 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, but she's like, she does have Chinese background, but she, her Chinese is not that amazing. I'm sorry, mom, if you're watching this, but yeah. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So now, like you said, you know, gave us a, that wonderful bit of information and, you know, now let's talk a little bit about the teaching, you know, what were some of the things, you know, maybe some of the surprises as far as you know, the type of curriculum, maybe some adjustments that you have to make, cultural adjustments, and of course, you know, educational and cultural shifts that, you know, that you noticed there, obviously coming in from Australia into Taiwan. What were some of the things that maybe were just some obstacles you had to overcome initially? Okay, so a few interesting times, I guess, going into Taiwan. Like in Australia, I was used to being called like Miss Aveling, like or maybe miss but never like melissa like you would never like that would be so like disrespectful if they called you by your first name okay whereas in taiwan in taiwan they address you as teacher melissa like and i was like excuse me like like because for me like being called by my first name is quite like a it's it's what's well, disrespectful like to call a teacher by their first name basically but the culture there was like they call you like that and that was it like that was just and i had to accept that i had to accept that i was not going to be called miss abling i was going to be called teacher melissa and i just had to deal with that um but in general i mean like going from australia to taiwan so a lot of people think that in taiwan it's going to be like because they're asian their math skills are going to be awesome and amazing and they're all geniuses basically this is a stereotype you know of asians being good at math but actually it was like being in Australia where you have like the huge variety of like the math levels. You have kids that, well, they have issues with negative and positive numbers and kids that can do all the things, you know? And so people were surprised actually when I told them that, no, this is, it's the same. Like that idea is the same. The thing that, the big thing that was different is doing the IB curriculum. So doing MYP was like the middle years program is like an open learning, so inquiry based, which I also did in Australia, but it was a bit different. So like in Taiwan, we had, we had all these different ways to assess, which I think were really good. And the students were like open to doing that. But okay, so the students in Taiwan, they weren't as good as like, um, I guess group work, generally speaking or like interacting as much. They like to be like more studious. The students that have been in the school for like quite a period of time, they were used to collaborating, they're used to being open. But each year there's a huge batch of kids that came in from the local schools and they were used to the really like traditional based teaching, which is like textbook, the blackboard, like copy the notes sort of thing, sort of don't have individual thoughts, just memorize all the formulas. So it was really interesting, like balancing like both of those styles. But it was really good that most of the kids there, they were used to open learning, so they could actually help the other kids out. And I guess the big thing there was that the students would speak to me in English, but to each other, they always like to use Chinese. And I told them, you know, like, if you want to improve your English, guys, you need to speak in English. But most of the time, they like to speak in Chinese. So that was a big thing for me, like trying to encourage them, like, although it's a bilingual school, but trying to tell them, like, Guys, I know that maybe you want to translate something to someone, that's fine. But if you can say it in English, try to use English. I didn't have to worry about that in Australia. I mean, like everyone was speaking English there. But <laughs> yeah, so that was that was something. So we have a question um, here from Shannon. So how did you deal with parent communication? How was that challenge? Okay. So, okay. That was a, thank you, Shannon. That was something that was in the back of my mind that I did want to talk about actually. So 
in Australia, I had basically direct contact with the, with the parents. So like if the students weren't doing something right or whatever, like I would phone call the parents or email the parents, usually phone call, um, or maybe the coordinator would do that, but I would have those phone calls. Whereas in Taiwan, really interesting actually, any communication with parents is either done through the homeroom teacher, which is usually a, uh, sometimes local, sometimes not, or directly through like the secretary from like the office. She's the one that does everything related to communication with parents. They will call the parents, they will email the parents, they'll communicate with them directly. So like I would never call a parent like in Taiwan, never. I would never be on the phone to parents. Like some of the local, like the Taiwanese teachers would be, but the internationals never. Like the the sort of communication I would have with them um, because I wanted them to know what was going on in the classroom, for instance. Like I was using Class Dojo actually with the my grade sevens and eights there. And also actually I used it a bit with my older kids because it was fun. As I got them to, I got the kids to use like my tablet or my phone to like take a video of the class and like post it on the class story for the parents. So the parents could actually see what was going on in the classrooms because they didn't know what was going on and the kids didn't really communicate to them what was happening in the classroom. So that was like a way I communicated with them. And in Class Dojo, they had like a parent like messaging thing, which they can automatically translate my messages. So, I mean, there was that because I told them you can use Chinese, that's fine. I mean, like if I don't understand what you're saying, I can use the translator and you guys can use the translator as well. But like phone calls, no, like that was directly through like the secretaries or like the local homeroom teachers. Uh, very interesting. Very interesting. So like you said there with the school, so being a, a private school, I mean, is was it just a normal day? Like, you know, we would have maybe like here in the States, you know, like eight to three, three thirty or four, or was the hour, were they different there? Okay. Another thing that I totally forgot about, but thank you for reminding me <laughs> very different with the hours. So Australia was like nine till three. And I mean, maybe you have a meeting at four or something and then you leave. Taiwan, okay, Taiwan, we started at like 7.30 or 8 and I'm going to like 5. So the wow. students, like they have, we had like maybe seven or eight periods a day and the last period was usually an activity period and they had buses that left at 5 or 4.30. I can't remember anymore. Maybe it was 4. That was 4.30. It's like I only left Taiwan like one and a half years ago, but like the times like were, yes, they were really long days and we had no holidays for Christmas. So I mean like Taiwan there, there's no, that they don't, well, they might celebrate Christmas, but it's not like a, a, a nationwide thing. So like literally we would be at school on Christmas day. Like we'll be teaching on Christmas day. Like the, like we would have a day off with New Year's day. So New Year's day is a public holiday. Um, but you teach like the hard thing for a lot of people is having to teach 22 weeks straight with no break, really. I mean, you have some long weekends and stuff, but no actual official break. Like our winter break was at the end of January or start of February for Chinese New Year. We'd have like a two to three week break there. And so we can go and explore and whatever. For a lot of teachers, they really struggled um, with that. I was okay because I was used to working like ridiculous hours when I was in Australia anyway, and I would stay late at work like every single day because I'm a nerd um so that's what and I have no life so I mean like that's that's what I did anyway so I was used to that but like Christmas away from family I mean like I was I mean usually like for family I mean the last time I was there was 2013 actually for Christmas um I wanted to go this year but COVID life um but I sort of I got used to it I mean like I don't have like a, a partner or kids or anything like that so I didn't it didn't really like concern me that much I mean 
on the weekends I went out and did camping and stuff but on Christmas I was just used to I guess just having to teach on that day and maybe dress in Christmas clothes yes um wow. so yeah that was a bit of a question I have a bit of a, a challenge or a difference so that, I guess. that was definitely an adjustment oh my goodness like you said going from nine to three back in Australia you know maybe four with a meeting and here you said like 20 what 22 weeks straight you know no break maybe some extended weekends uh and all the way maybe to four five o'clock or so wow that that's definitely a a big shift there. Now, was it because the uh, the curriculum that you had to cover was very rigorous? Uh, you know, they they needed more time, or they just kind of crammed as much as they could throughout the day. You know, as far as uh, you know, like normally you have like what seven eight periods, all different subjects. I mean, still the same thing over there. Yep. So like the time the school that I was at actually is similar to the school that I'm in Colombia, but um, where I'm where I was at in Taiwan was also, they had two sections. So they had the international and the bilingual. So the bilingual sort of followed still the the local sort of system, but some international sort of thrown in there, but their primary language was Chinese that they were being taught in. Whereas like on my side, the international side was, well, we, we basically taught in English. Now, but the thing is that in Taiwan, they have the MOE, so the Ministry of Education, and they have these requirements of like how many hours the students need to sort of be at school to like say that, yes, you did enough hours for a particular year. And there's a certain amount of activities basically that they have to do as well, like community service or military service, or like they have to do like these, um, like they had to do hospitality. Uh, they're like some two or three like core activities that they had to do as part of like their schooling, like it was like, you can't like pass the the school or you can't graduate without doing these, I guess in America there's like credits or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's why like that last hour of the day, each, each day was like an activity. So for me, like I ran like a media club, I ran like a tennis club, they had like debating, they had like student council, um, they had a heap of different types of clubs, but they also had like the special ministry of education required ones as well. So, I mean, like, it, like in general, like in Taiwan, I mean, like, if you were at an international school, maybe that didn't have to follow those MOE regulations, you wouldn't have such long days. But the school that I was at was, they had to follow those regulations. So, I mean, that's why the day was so long. Um, so, yeah, life. Wow, and yes, they had Brazilian subjects to do. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So, now, something, now, we're transitioning now. So you had your stay in Taiwan and we, of course, Shannon here is asking, you know, how did you end up in Colombia, you know, <laughs> after teaching in Taiwan? Right. And she, she's also asked something about what my greatest teaching challenges were oh. in Taiwan and what they are now. I guess they're sort of linked. Like yeah. Compared to that. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. My teaching challenges in Taiwan I actually was super, super comfortable in Taiwan, to be honest. I mean, I was there for five years. I could have stayed for like 10 years. I mean, I, I was really, I really, I had an awesome team that I worked with. Like my head of department was amazing. Like the people that taught the same subjects were amazing. Like they, they supported me a lot. I mean, like I didn't have to do, I mean, I still had to work, but I mean, like, like I taught, but I was used to teaching like there maybe five different grade levels. So I taught like seven, eight, 10, 11, 12. Like I'd have five different preps or whatever. And I was used to that. I was used to that sort of thing. Um, but people like, so I didn't have to be like an advisor or a homeroom teacher because I had five different 
five different things. But I, I was used to it. It wasn't like a big deal for me. Um, like I liked interacting with the students. Of course, sometimes you have challenging times, but that's like normal at any school. I mean, like they're teenagers, you're always gonna run into interesting issues. Um, but I mean, communication is essential. And I think it's the same like where I am now. So talking about like me going to going to Colombia and like why? So why did I? So I'm showing my t-shirt. See my t-shirt? Yes, I have a t-shirt. Sorry. Um, anyway. um, so being comfortable in Taiwan and why did I decide to let's go to South America? You know, it's like a a big change, I guess. I mean, being comfortable and because I'm like in my 30s and I was like, I'm still young. Maybe I can still go and travel like while I'm this age I mean like when I'm older maybe I'll just want to stay in a comfortable place and never want to move you know um I was like so where should I go you know and so in 2016 I did a trip to the states and for the first time I visited the states I did like a road trip around there and I also visited El Salvador and Guatemala with a friend I know I'd never been to Central America. I'd never been to the States. I had no intention whatsoever of teaching over there because I'd heard all these rumors of like all the terrible things. Like, I don't even know why. Like I know so many people from America now and I'm just like, you guys are so amazing. Like what you guys do. And I mean, but okay, I visited then. I was like, oh, the culture is so interesting. The people are so interesting. And then I was like, and in Guatemala and El Salvador, I was like, I really want to explore these areas more. This like I was only there for like a couple of weeks with my friend, but that got me thinking. This is back in 2016. Obviously, I'd only been in Taiwan for a couple of years at that point, but it did get me thinking, you know, about hmm, future future locations maybe. So that got me so so and then I was like, okay, 5 years in Taiwan was like a good amount of time, you know. 5 years good for the CV. I know like I could stay here for longer, but let's see, okay, maybe I want to challenge myself, maybe I want to go and do something else. And so I did some research, I was looking at Central America, actually, primarily, because I'd been in El Salvador and Guatemala, I was looking at IV schools, because I mean, like, moving over there will be a huge culture difference to Asia and Australia, and the language, um, all of that. Um, so, and Pilar is asking, how do I get an international job? So I mean, like, there's a, there's a few different associations out there. So there's um, Search Associates and there's also CIS. Those are two huge um, organizations that a lot of like international schools that advertise on there. You have to pay like a membership or whatever and you can get access to all the things there. Basically you can apply through there. But I know like LinkedIn also does a lot of international jobs, but I use Search Associates. Um, but anyway, so I was doing research on Central America basically. Um, and my friend was like, oh, you should check out Costa Rica. It's really like foreigner friendly, you know, good for ecotourism because I really love nature. It's so, like Taiwan. I know I'm going back to Taiwan. But Taiwan, like it's there's so many mountains there. Like in my second year, I bought a car and I basically almost every weekend I was out like hiking, enjoying like nature, going to like all these waterfalls. I became obsessed with waterfalls. I went to 155 waterfalls in Taiwan. Yes, I have some problems. Um, but anyway, I... <laughs> yes um yeah so I got I, and I got into camping over there so anyway so like I was like oh Costa Rica okay okay but then I looked at schools and so I, when I was a bit more particular about schools now like going to Taiwan I was like I'll go anywhere basically in Asia like this is my first experience I only taught for four years got no experience but now 
got nine years of experience. So, okay, maybe I can be a bit more choosy, picky or whatever as to like what, where I can go. Um, but I couldn't find like the schools that I wanted in Costa Rica or Panama. They were really actually expensive. It's actually really expensive to live in Panama or Costa Rica. And I contacted teachers there and like, we're really good schools, but you actually cannot really save money here. Um, so if you want to save money, maybe don't choose this school right now, even though this school was amazing. So it was really good that they were super honest with me because, I mean, I didn't really know people there. This was back at the end of 2018. I started contacting a heap of schools because Search Associates did not really have, like, what I wanted. So I basically went on the IB website and I went to, like, all the different schools basically in South America and I emailed all of them like asking, you know, if they have positions available. And I mean, I ended up looking more like in Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, um, Brazil. I actually looked at Venezuela for a bit. <laughs> um, but then people were like, things are a bit um, iffy there at the moment. So maybe <laughs> not right now. And I wanted to be at an established school. So a school that really knew like the IB program, because I knew, I knew that going into like South America, new language like Spanish. I was trying to do some Duolingo, but I mean, like, I had never done any Spanish. So I know, Fons, that your Spanish is epic and amazing, but <laughs> mine was basically, if you imagine, like, going to a new country with, like, like almost zero of that language. I mean, for me, it was like, I really want to be at school that has all the curriculum there so I don't need to worry about, like, starting anew. Like, I didn't want to be like, okay, I'm at a new school. I don't want to have to deal with all the new stuff. I just like, because I knew that everything's going to be Spanish. I just want to have that as my focus. So in the end, that's how I ended up getting like the job, like the particular school that I'm at. I went there because I thought that it was a well-established IB school. Yes. Sorry, that was a giant spiel. You can like ask stuff or if there's questions in the chat. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's interesting now. So now, like you said, Spanish, transition, things are different. How does uh, it has the school has the schedule gotten a little bit better? I'm sure that probably has as far as maybe a little bit more days off, you know, maybe the curriculum a little bit different. So what is, uh, just before you answer that, like the, your current position right now is you're doing math also. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'm still I've got like the same position as I did what I was in Taiwan. So I was at MYP and DP, so middle years program and diploma years program, which is basically like if you're thinking of like general, it's like from grade seven to 12, okay? So like in Taiwan, I was teaching usually like five different grade levels. I came to Columbia, the school that was like, they're like, what, you're teaching five different grade levels? No one does that. No, no, that is not okay. Um, so I'm teaching just two levels right now. So like last year I had 10 and 11, and this year I've got like nines and 12s. Um, and so here, like the schedule, you're talking about like how the change was. So in Taiwan, it was like 7.30, well, not 7.30, like eight till five, basically each day. Here, you still start early. Like our first period starts at 7.30 in the morning, um, but we finish earlier. So the kids, it's really weird now, okay, with like the hybrid thing and everything, but we finish at like three, basically. Okay, and they, we ha usually have refuerzos um, from three till four, basically um for like so i usually finish by 4 p.m each day and i can go usually straight home generally speaking so there is that yeah so we've got a question here from steph thank you for joining us steph appreciate you being here it says i've heard that some schools have age cutoffs and cutoffs for amount of dependents you take with you right so there's a huge range of different requirements depending on the school 
every school is actually different. Most schools do not have an age cutoff. I mean, some depends, like with the dependents, um, depending on the package you get with as an international teacher, like some places they will pay for the tuition um, of your kids. Depend, maybe the first and second, and maybe the third is half, or just the first and the second is half, or something like that. It really depends on the school. Um, but age cutoffs, I mean, like not usually. That's not usually a thing. Like I, maybe if you're like sixty or something and trying to get a job as an international teacher, maybe. Uh, Hmm. Um, and I guess maybe they might like if if the school doesn't have as much money, maybe they'll be looking at teachers that have less experience uh, or not less experience as in like maybe five years as opposed to 20 years because it costs more to hire the ones with more experience. But most I mean, if it's a good school, they should look look at the ones that have the experience. I mean, and hire them. But with like with dependence, Dev, like if you're asking about that, it really does depend on the school. Most schools will have a package where they'll pay for at least the first or second kid that you have their tuition, or at least half. Something, but it really, honestly, depends on the school. Like it, it is really, really different. Um, so yeah, depends. Really depends. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. So now working with the students, you say you've got nines and twelves now, you know, and you're still, you know, teaching the same subjects. Um, how has that been, you know, especially, you know, maybe in the, you know, previously in Taiwan or maybe the year before you were doing, uh, what was it, like ninth, 10, maybe, you know, grade levels that are a lot closer. Now you've got nines and twelves. How's that been as far as a challenge? Uh, not at all. No challenge in regards to that. Like just having like, like as in like nine and 12 or 10 and 11 instead of like five levels that are, I can sort of see the progression. That's not really a huge challenge or difference for me. Like the big difference actually coming from Taiwan to Colombia was actually the way of the teaching. So like the, the school is at in Taiwan was an IB school as well. But the school that I'm up in in Colombia is also IB. So they're also like an NYP school. But they, I don't think they've had the program for as long. So a lot of the students are still used to like traditional based teaching and not so like student centered or being able to take responsibilities themselves. They're still used to like the teacher, like giving them all the things. Um, so that has been the biggest challenge, actually, probably or the, aside of the language. OK, like I knew like another thing, OK, that coming into the school, I was told like in the interview and everything that all the meetings are going to be in Spanish. I mean, there'll be someone there that will be able to translate maybe for you, but you need to be aware that basically everything is going to be in Spanish. And so I knew that going in, I was like, okay, I wanted a challenge. I wanted an adventure. I mean, this is what I've got. I mean, I had that. So the language thing basically. <laughs> and Pilai's question about like, oh, I should not be here. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a, that's a great question from Billy. Thank you so much for asking. I mean, you know, has there been that moment? Has that crossed your mind at any time? I mean, maybe in the first stint, you know, when you went to Taiwan, but how about now during this time, you know, do you get homesick? <laughs> I've actually never been homesick, even like when I when I moved to Taiwan, because it was just so comfortable for me. I was just so at home there, so comfortable, like where I was. I didn't feel like, of course, everyone looks at me and they'll get so surprised if I speak Chinese to them. But I mean, like, I, I still felt like really comfortable there. And coming to Colombia, obviously, I knew I knew it was going to be a culture shock. I knew, that, like, I was prepared in my brain to be like, 
okay, when you get here, everyone's going to be speaking Spanish. And I mean, I tried to do like these little culture exchange things. So in Taiwan, they have like these language exchange things. So there's people that speak Spanish. So people from Argentina or from Colombia or from wherever, like they're there, they're like practicing Spanish. I went to like two sessions or something there and I was like, oh my God, I cannot understand anything. Um, but, but I was like, it's okay, it's okay, you know? And I... Like, honestly, I I, I, had, I have a really good team here. Like, people are so supportive here and they're really, like, willing to try to, like, help me out. And I think that was super important. And also, like, the batch of international teachers here was not as big as Taiwan. So Taiwan had a group of, like, 10 teachers there. Whereas here we had, like, maybe three or four, like, in, like, my section, in my, like, uh in the high school section, but like Pila is asking like whether there were times of like, should I be here? Should I go? Like considering like the distance I am away. Cause like obviously like Taiwan to Australia is like about 10 hours. Whereas here, if I want to go back, it's going to take about 30 hours. Wow. Um, Cause like you can get a direct flight from Melbourne to Chile, which is about 14 hours. And then, but you have to go to Bogota after that, which is another six or seven hours. And then to Cali. Um, so by the end of that, I mean, if it's super like good transitions, it's maybe 26, 27 hours, um, but it's quite far. But I don't think there's like, I don't think there's a time where I was just like, I really want to leave. I think the biggest challenge was me just like getting used to like the way of teaching and acknowledging the fact that the students were not used to like my style of like getting them to actually investigate things instead of like me giving them all the stuff. Like there was a huge clash, honestly, at the start and we had to have this it was really good that the students are super open. Like they definitely like, if there is something wrong, they don't like it, they're gonna tell you. So like Colombians, okay, so the thing about the culture. Okay, so Asia and Colombia, totally different. I mean like Colombia, everyone is like, well generally super friendly. Like the, 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 the town that I'm in, Cali, everyone's like super loud. Okay, like they're super loud, they laugh like super loud and they're like, wanna hug you, wanna touch you, wanna like, just like be your friend basically all the time. And for me, okay, I am not that type of person. Okay, like Asia was very suitable for me because I could just go about my way. And I was actually loud, like in Asia, like in Taiwan, I was one of the people that were like talkative. And then I came here and I was like, oh my God, why does everyone want to hug me? No, I hate hugs. No, no, please, no. Like the students wanted to hug me and I was like, no, please, no, no, no. I'm like, this is distance, okay? This is like here. Like right now with, with COVID, it's, it's good in a way because I'm just like social distancing. But I mean, like at the start when I first came in, I was like, what is this? I mean, like that was very, um, yeah. But I, I mean, there were challenges, but I mean, this big thing here is just, it's forced me to grow. I mean, like in Taiwan, I was super comfortable and I wasn't really pushed like as an educator, like to really like expand whatever I was doing. Whereas here in Colombia, I was not expecting that. I was not expecting the fact that I would have to really like change or really like think about the way that I teach even more. I know Shannon loves hugs. I'm sorry, Shannon, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone's like, un grande abrazo. Like at the end of each like sentence, it's like, un grande abrazo para ti. You know, like it's always like that. And I'm just like, <laughs> So anyway, that was like one of, like I should stop talking. It's too much talking. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, but this is great. You know, just getting that perspective and you're sharing, you know, so much with us. And and even though we're we're close friends and you know, through uh PLFs, which is what I want to get to next, because that's the way that we actually met through I like to call PLFs, my personal professional learning family. 
And that's the way that I got to meet many of the people that are here. We've got Billy here. We've got Leslie. We've got Steph. We've got Shannon. And of course, yourself. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, your transitions from, again, you went from Australia to Taiwan to Colombia. Now, when did you actually start immersing yourself into the PLNs and, you know, during, was it mainly just due to COVID or had you already been uh, actively involved in uh, professional learning networks to, you know, just again, get ideas, you know, pedagogy, you know, uh, activities and things of that sort? Okay, so I guess firstly, like moving to Taiwan and getting involved with the IB community, so the International Baccalaureate they have like a, I guess a website or whatever, where we can go in to do discussion boards and that sort of thing to share resources, all that sort of thing. Okay, like that's there. So I, I guess like there I sort of developed some stuff and I was, in, I was invited to like for the school, we had like a ed tech summit um, in Taiwan actually. So some representatives from Google um, and I, and from, so it was only that event that I, like I have a Twitter account, okay, so like, but and it's and I've had it for ages, like since two thousand and nine. I was mostly for like blogging about books and things like that. I was like a huge like a, a bookworm, and I used to blog about books and what I read, and I did all these reading challenges. Anyway, that's another story. Um, but basically, like in Taiwan, I think I was like two thousand and uh, maybe seventeen. I I connected with some people through that summit. So through that summit, I connected with some people on Twitter. Like I can see my Twitter history, so if you go back and like see like previous months, it's like when you were active and stuff. And it was a long time ago. It was maybe just for that month. And I can see like my, what is the thing? The interactions. What's the thing on Twitter? Like the analytics. Yeah, and it was like analytics. super low. It was like almost nothing. So I mean, like almost nothing. Like this year is really like you mentioned, like the COVID. Um, like when we went into lockdown. So like in April or something, I sort of started getting into Twitter because I was like, okay, we're in lockdown. Uh, we're doing virtual teaching. Um, our, our system when we first started was like basically you saw your class once a week on like Meet or something like or Zoom or whatever it was. And I had this huge Google Doc, um, a HyperDoc thing where students would just go to to find out what they needed to do basically each lesson. But we, really, we, didn't, we only saw them maybe once a week. Now, I was just like, okay, what do we do here? And I found so... For some reason, I found Flipgrid. So, uh -huh. so Flipgrid is one of my my things. Um, but yeah, I found the Flipgrid community. I think in April or May, something like that. So I started sort of getting back into Twitter then. But I I know like Twitter is just one way to I know connect like with a PLN. But it is my big thing now. I mean, like in June, uh, July, when I had holidays. What holidays? COVID life. <laughs> Um, I don't know how I heard of like the Google Educator like um, certifications. Um, I think it was maybe like I think her name's Casey Bell. I can't remember the, the lady that's like Shake Up Learning. Yeah, she, Casey Bell. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I got I got some notification or something that she was doing some workshop thing, some webinar or something or other. So I connected with that, and then I saw oh Google Certified Educator Level One. Okay, this might be interesting. So I ended up doing that. And then I think I posted on Twitter about it. And then people, I don't know how it started. It's really hard like to, like my memory is yeah. super bad. So I look, I try to look at like past tweets and I'm like, what happened here? How did I connect with these people? And like, I remember people that were encouraging me to do level two. Now there was no, I didn't know about the boot camps and stuff at this stage. So I didn't know like, 
they'd done the boot camp after I did level two. I was like, mm, okay, whatever. But I still went to the boot camp anyway for funds. Um, but I mean, it must be June. Like, if you're asking, like, where did I really like develop like stronger, like a PLN PLF? I think probably June, July. July is like was my highest craziest um, month of all the Twitter. Like, I did like a bazillion posts and got a bazillion interaction things, whatever it is that you call there. Um, compared to all my previous months, I was just super active. I guess I had no life, but but it was good. But see, that's awesome because that's the way that we connected. And I mean, I'm so thankful to the people that are here in this room also who are checking us out, like Leslie, you know, during this time as well, she was starting to having the innovator conversations, those chats, and then I got to meet Abbott and then I got to meet some wonderful people. And then Steph Rothstein, I don't know if she's still here or not, but she, I, she, I interviewed her, you know, as I was going through the process and just making those connections slowly wow. and then just uh, adding to, um, to Twitter, just following people. And then, of course, Staff Room. Thank you to Kat Lamon, who's doing that, you know, and we met through Staff Room. Uh, Shannon was there, and then I think you and Shannon really hit it off. And then it, it's just been amazing just to, you know, see how we've been able to connect and what we've been able to learn from one another, as it is like for myself, this has been a wonderful learning experience. I mean, being having you here on my show, on this show, your show, you know, again, you always have an open invite here since you are part of my personal learning family. It's just been great to be able to learn not only who you are as a person, but through your experiences and being able to see education through a different lens can help, is going to help me obviously see things differently as well and, and you know, help me reflect on some of those things that you've mentioned and and think about those things a little bit more so that I can become, you know, a better educator and a better person and somebody that can be very helpful, just like you've been to many of us. And you've brought so much joy to us because like you were talking about the Flipgrid community. One of the best things that you ever did was just create that Flipgrid. Tell us a little bit about how you came up there with the idea of creating this Flipgrid that you shared with us. Okay, so before I talk about that, I want to give a shout out to one of my ex-colleagues, Kenny Xiao, who's in the chat right now. He, I used to work with him in Taiwan, and he always like blabs all this weird random stuff about me. So you can just ignore him probably as he writes stuff in the chat. But thanks, Kenny, for like being in here. I just like spammed him with like my YouTube link so he could actually come and see me. <laughs> um, but anyway, he's someone who I used to work with like in my first when he was part of that first group of like the ten teachers, basically. That when we when I moved over to Taiwan, he was part of that. He's in Hong Kong now, but yes, one of my old mates from there. Um, but yeah, the Flipgrid. So Shannon is in the chat right there. She is, I, I'm pretty sure Shannon is the one actually that came up with that idea about like sharing our journeys or like talking about like how, for example, Global GEG in particular has changed basically our professional life. Like. Like I did not have this community before. I just had like who I worked with basically. I did not have Twitter. I mean like also I had, sorry, Kenny, I mean I used to, I mean you, you're also part of my old community. But I mean, you know, like I didn't have all this online friends and like from, from Twitter. I mean like a professional, like all the people that were educators and things. I did not have that. So somehow like, yeah, as you mentioned, like the staff room and stuff, like I joined a staff room and Shannon was also there. I think in the second staff room I was there for some reason we connected and we messaged and at some point I'm pretty sure Shannon it was you she says collaborative effort but I mean I was the one that created it 
like the actual thing, but she gave me all the stuff. Like we were like, it's, it's going to be so interesting for other people to actually know what such an impact like global GEG has, like actually having like such a, an amazing network through Twitter. I mean, from global GEG, but like, it's not just global GEG. I mean, like it's all the other educators that are out there, like sharing all their stuff on Twitter, whether it's like things that they're struggling with or like amazing resources or anything, basically. I mean, everything is out there. I know that there are some teachers not on Twitter. I mean, like in Colombia, I know Lewis is an exception, but most teachers are not on Twitter. I mean, they don't use that as their, as their learning network. So I connected with all these people like in the States or in the UK, some people in Australia, I know, not so many in Asia. I mean, I know Kenny is here, but I mean, that's from a different, different connection there. But I mean, like that's, I think it was so interesting for myself and Shannon to be like, oh, how do people actually get here? You know, what was their journey like? And so like Flipgrid would be an amazing way for people to actually share that. That would be epic, you know? So that's why, I mean, that's why we, sh we started that. I know it's been a bit dead, but we still encourage people to add to the Flipgrid, share your journey. They have that mic only option now. So I know some people are like shy about sharing their face. Just want to hear your voice. So that is also I think, uh, yeah, I think it's great. Like, just like Billy says, it's Shannon's manipulative gift, you know, that she has. Shannon has an amazing way of injecting herself into other people's lives, but in a positive way. I remember her making a comment like that, you know, and she's been great. And, you know, it's going it, to... Shannon you know, is awesome. Shannon is awesome. Pilly is awesome. Everybody here is awesome. And it's just been like she, Mel, you know, was a saving grace during the summer. And I think for a lot of us, our PLN or my PLF, which is everybody here, you know, was definitely that saving grace to be able to not only share, but help us keep mentally well, be able to have a room where we can just be open and honest, have that psychological safety and being open about what's going on, how we're really truly feeling, you know, and being in a, in a place where everybody's going through the same uh, situation, some may be better than others, but more than anything, it's just that support system. And I think that professional learning families, like I call them, or professional learning networks, uh, can be great if you can extend them beyond just the that professional and make it personal, the friendships that come about, those connections. And, you know, hopefully one day we'll, we'll all have a global GEG meetup, you know, in one place, one location, and just, you know, have a great time with one another because we've all been able to contribute uh, to everybody, everybody's been able to contribute in one shape, way, or form, and to to meet the needs of of whatever they may be. You know, whether it's like, hey, does anybody have a strategy for this? And somebody's like, hey, here's this. Does anybody have this? Hey, here's that. Or hey, does anybody can somebody t chat right now? Does anybody want to vent? Does do this? And so it's just been amazing, just those connections that we've made through our professional learning uh, network and family. And so. It's just been uh, great. And again, like Shannon, Pilly here, it says uh, it was also such an effortless learning space. Yeah, when you needed a little cheer, we're always here. And Shannon also, definitely we all have a global GEG meetup. That's right. And it'll be, it'll be a 24-7 PD party. <laughs> so that'll be awesome. Well, Mel, I mean, it's just been great. Honestly, it's been an honor to be able to learn more about who you are as a person who you are as an educator, the way that you see education, the experiences that you've had, and for you to take the time 
to share those experiences with others that may be watching that maybe they don't have that international experience, but now they've heard firsthand through your experience and maybe those that may be planning someday and say, hey, you know what, maybe I'd like to teach internationally. Well, you know, here's here's Mel, you know, sharing her story, how things worked out for her and, you know, at least some in some of these cultures. But and of course, now they can reach out to you. I've been putting your your uh, Twitter um, info there so people can go in, they can follow you. And so I'm pretty sure that you've just gained, you know, several followers uh, here after the show and thereafter. But thank you. It really, really means a lot that you are here and just really opening up to us. And, uh, you know, it's been great. So thank you so much because it's just been a, a truly genuine, real learning experience for me. So thank you. (laughs) <laughs> no problem i need to thank you and also like the global gg and the twitter i mean like without like that pln i think in that group of people i would not have really like i think i've i think i've shifted so much as like an educator from like six months ago to where i am now like i would not usually be someone that would go and do these things like i would not do this i mean like being on a youtube live I mean, I've done a few now, but I mean, like, I would have never done that before or, like, run, like, PDs for, like, teachers for, like, tech stuff. I mean, that is not who I am. Well, it was not who I am. Maybe that is who I am now. But, I mean, like, that's – it's because of the group. It's because of the people that are, like, they're pushing me, they're suggesting all these things and, like, forcing me to grow. So I think, like – and I know, for example, like, the international teaching thing, like, if you're thinking about it and you're, like, oh, COVID and all this sort of thing, like, I still think that you should go forth and do it. I mean, like, it's an experience that you're you're you know, you're not really going to regret. I mean, like, whether you, you have like some negative things or some positive things or whatever, it's the type of experience that's super worthwhile. Like, because you you have to immerse yourself like in the culture, in that community, and you learn so much. And I mean, I don't regret at all. Like coming over here, I know. At some points during the COVID times, and I was like, oh, my God, Taiwan is, like, the best country right now to be in for COVID because they were so good on clamping down everything. So they're basically free, I mean, in Taiwan. They can go and travel around Taiwan and do whatever. And I was, like, sort of jealous at that point. But I was like, no, no, no. I don't regret coming here because, I mean, if I didn't come here, I wouldn't be who I am now. Like, the like I don't know whether I'm a better educator or whatever, but I know that I, I've learned so much, like, from all the people in this community They've just like taught me a lot and forced me to do things that I usually would not have done before. So I'm super appreciative of all of that. And I highly encourage everyone basically that's out there to join a PLN if you haven't already, okay? Or I mean like if you're thinking of teaching internationally, then you should research and do some more. And you can also talk to me like no problems about that sort of thing. But yeah, a a highly like enriching experience for sure. No, most definitely. And uh, Mel, you've definitely grown, I I believe, you know, I think everybody during this time, but just, uh, you know, at least from my, my perspective, you know, from the outside looking in, I mean, I've seen so many people that have been able to do some amazing things and now contribute quite frequently and are active in helping so many other educators and you being one of them. And of course, all the wonderful uh, people that are joining us here today, like Leslie, Pili, Shannon, you know, Steph Rothstein and the rest of the PLF and the rest of the Global GEG gang has just been something that has been amazing. So thank you again so much. And uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful conversation. I know that, like Billy said, this could go on a lot longer because it, it it's just wonderful to just be able to hear 
someone's story and think about our own practice, uh, you know, our own personal experience and reflect on those things. So hopefully today what you've heard Mel share could be something that, you know, you can add to your teacher tool belt, you know, those experiences, uh, that knowledge firsthand, and maybe there's something, something from here you'll be able to apply to your own personal practice or just for your, your professional personal growth. So thank you so much, Mel, again. Thank you guys for joining us midweek. I know normally we do our shows on Saturdays, but schedules are changing. So now we'll be doing our most of our shows during the midweek, and uh, we will probably be um, taking a little break probably the, you know, the week after Christmas and so on. And then we'll be back in January full force. We've got some great shows lined up. And if you can, guys, go ahead and visit our site at myedtech.life. Myedtech.life. You can go ahead and you'll be able to listen and rewatch this show in about, you know, 10 minutes or so while I update everything. You can check out the other 33 shows that we've done. That's right. I can't even believe this is show number 34. And it all started just by clicking record. So thank you so much to all of our viewers, all our supporters. Thank you so much. Uh, Pilly, thank you so much for that cup of coffee. I really appreciate that. And uh, again, guys, we will see you guys next week with another wonderful show. But my friends, until then, stay techie. All up.